Welcome back to the Kettle Call podcast. This is our third episode and also the first one of the Research Call series. If you have listened to our previous episode, you remember that we talked with Brooke Latek. But if you haven't, make sure to do that, to listen more about Brooke's career, what she does on her current job, and what are the things that she did during undergrad and grad school that helped her to be where she is today. Let's go ahead and bring Brooke to the line. Hello, Brooke. How are you? Hi, Pedro. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great, too. Thank you. Is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call. Great. Brooke, a little different than the work that you do today, I see that your master's degree uh, research project involved a lot of work with swine manure. Can you tell us more about this project and how did you come up with the idea of work with manure and swine operations? Sure. So uh, during my graduate studies, I worked at the Animal Air Quality Research Facility at Michigan State University. So a lot of the work we did was with air emissions from animals. Uh, and a lot of that ha also had to do with the manure they were producing too, because obviously that can play a part in the different gases being emitted. And so when I was developing my project, and like we talked about last time, I was developing it with the systems dynamics thinking, integrating all of the feedback into that. I wanted to do a whole system where we weren't just looking at the animal and what it's excreting in the swine operation, but also the crops that we're applying that manure too. So that whole system from animal to crop, where are we losing those nutrients and what does that system look like? That's that's very good. So you try to develop a, a simple model that could be used by a producer who has the whole system together in their operation to try to understand where they are losing the nutrients from their manure, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I wanted it to be simple that producer can go in and input the information from their own operation and be able to understand at what point they're losing a lot of those nutrients and how that would affect their fields when they're trying to grow the crops. And what is that long-term look at how things are going? Because many models, while they're great for helping with understanding the nutrient, they don't give that long-term look at what's happening and what are, what's going to happen down the road. That's very important. So you were trying to look, what am I doing today that has an effect five years? And I think you did even to 50 years, you were thinking ahead like that way. And that's that's very interesting. I, I believe that's one of the messages that you gave us on, on our previous podcast is giving a step back and looking the whole system together. And now you are showing that we can even think years from, from what we are doing today, right? Exactly, yeah. And that that was really the main goal of the project was integrating the system and then giving that time scale. Great. You also have a lot of inputs in your model that mention losing nutrients from the manure. From the animal output, I would say, to the plant uptake from that manure in the soil. What are those inputs? What are those processes? And can you talk a little bit in depth about each one of those and how do you think each one has an effect on, on losing nutrients from, from the manure? The whole system, there are little steps. So like you mentioned, from the animal excreting the manure, we start losing those nutrients. And so the first step is storage. Where are we putting that manure? How long is it being stored there? What method is it storing? Is it in a lagoon? Is it in a pit where the urine and feces are mixing together? Are they separating the urine and feces? Because that's also going to make a difference. So different things like that. And there's all kinds 
of uh, manure storage methods. You know, everyone makes it different. So the model allowed them to calculate how much they were losing based on their specific operation. And then we moved on to actually applying the manure to the field. So after we calculated how much we lost based on the time it was stored, we went to the field and we looked at soil type because obviously that'll affect how much nutrients uh, are lost. We looked at the season they were applying. We looked at the method of application. Obviously injecting is going to lose a different amount of nutrients compared to just uh, applying it straight to the top and not tilling that under. So we looked at all the different methodologies for for manure application. And then obviously, like you said, the crop is going to make a difference. So there are going to be nitrogen heavy users like corn um, versus the crops that don't need extra nitrogen because they fix it themselves. So, and that'll affect what, how those managers are really applying that manure to their field. That's very interesting. Yes. A lot of, a lot of inputs, a lot of uh, complex material to work with. What, what are the biggest challenges that you had while developing this model? So one of the biggest challenges was finding a platform that supported the feedback loops that I wanted to. So instead of having just a linear model, I wanted things to feedback and then give that time. And so something that'll iterate year after year after year, but also be user-friendly. I wanted something where the farm producers or the swine producers can come on quickly, type, 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 put their information and they don't have to do anything special and get a get an answer. And on the other side of that, from more of the programming side of things, I wanted to be able to go in and change equations. Like as we know, data is being updated every single day. Research is giving us new equations. We're understanding better. I want to be able to go in and change those equations as easy as I can. So finding that platform was difficult that to give all of that. And I... The platform I chose gave me that, but it was not a super accessible software. So it still did not give me that perfect software. Yes, it's it's always hard to find something simple and complex at the same time. <laughs> That's great. And one of the inputs that you had in your model, I, I just remember now, and it's good for me who works with nutrition. I remember that you also had, there are ways of, of feeding management that can impact the manure uh, quality as well. Is, is that right? Exactly. And so part of what we included were um, different feed additives that could affect uh, nutrient retention in the animal. And so obviously that's going to change how the nutrients in the manure, which will, you know, down the line affect how much is available for those crops. So we did give an option for those additives so that we could ca truly calculate what those animals were excreting. That's very nice. I, I hope we can soon have something similar to the cattle industry. And we know that there are technologies available that we can take advantage of, enhance the nitrogen uptake, let's say, from for the animal, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's good. Brooke, one other thing that you mentioned very briefly is about the, the crops. And, and I will switch gears a little bit just because I... I also want to bring up another uh, article that you, you wrote with another livestock advisor, Rebecca Alzerman, and you guys published that a year ago. And the title is, Has the response to foodborne illness outbreaks impact California growers? 
Can you tell us about the story of this project and how you came up with the idea of writing some take-home message of, of this article? Sure. This article really came about because there were several outbreaks with leafy greens specifically that ended up being uh, found to be around here. So one was in Yuma, the others in Salinas. And one of the things that was discussed was where did that E. coli come from? Where was that food contamination coming from? And for several of them, they weren't able to pinpoint exactly where the E. coli came from because it's a very dynamic uh, bacteria. It's always moving around the system. It's always there, but you may not always pinpoint where it came from. And so there's not an exact reason it got on those leafy greens, but a lot of, there was some speculation that cattle were a cause or could have been a cause. And this This sort of triggered a reaction in the industry because uh, the people selling the product need to keep the consumer safe, so they had to react. But there isn't a whole lot of science saying one way or the other what what is the correct distance from a feedlot leafy greens need to be in order to be what people would consider safe. Obviously, we live in a system where you can't keep everything 100% safe, but, you know, as safe as we could be. And so when Rebecca and I were looking at this problem, we were really interested in this response because people needed to respond, but it wasn't necessarily based on data that would actually prove one way or the other. And we were thinking about it from the advisor perspective. Well, what can we do as advisors to help? What can we do to help the leafy greens people better understand what the risk is relative to the cattle? And how can we help the cattle producers in explaining what they do to mitigate risks? And so that's kind of why we wrote this. It was almost what did we learn during all of our research and all of our, you know, talking to producers? What What was it that we learned? And we learned so much about what this response meant and what we as advisors could do for both industries. That's great. And now I have to ask, what did you learn? What are the, the take-home message <laughs> from, from the article that you can leave our listeners with? It? I think what we learned is we just need more information. We can't make a lot of conclusions and companies are going to do what they have to do in order to, you know, to keep who, people safe in a way that they think they will. But I think it's up to us as universities and extension advisors to sort of help get that information to those companies so that they have a better understanding of the actual science behind these type of outbreaks. That's very nice. I mean, at, at the end of the day, my take home message is that we, we don't have science, we don't have data to maybe blame the feedlot industry for those outbreaks. And, and we know that there are some people who maybe trying to find the, the right answer, they, they usually try to blame the, the cattle industry for that. And I don't think we have that answer that they looking for right right yeah and I, i would say more data would be helpful because you know the feedlots are being really affected by this negatively but also the leafy green producers are really having a hard time and they're getting hammered with a lot of new regulations that they don't really have a choice but to follow and so both industries are getting hit pretty hard with this without a lot of data to help back it up. Absolutely. Yeah. We, I mean, and that's our job as, as university, we want to help them. We want to conduct research to, to help them to answer those, those questions. And hopefully we can have them in the future. That's, that's really good, Brooke. Was, was, 
Perfect. Thank you very much. It was very nice to chat with you again. Any final message or how can our listeners follow your work or contact you if, if they have any questions? Yeah. So um, if you want to contact me, email is usually the best way. So my email is bclatech at ucanr.edu. And then I am on Instagram. I occasionally post about some of the research we do. So if you want to find me on there, I'm at brooklatech. That's that's really good. We also are creating our uh, cattle called Instagram. So if you want to follow us there <laughs> feel free to do it but that's perfect it's it's always good to remember our listeners that we already have two past episodes and make sure to listen to that and, and if you want to receive news keep updated with our podcast please send an email to cattlecallucd at gmail.com and subscribe to our newsletter as well any feedback is always welcome we need your feedback to improve our work so feel free to do it it's Don't hesitate to do it. We appreciate that. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your time. And don't forget that it's, it's always a great time for a cattle call. Whispers are jingling. A cowboy is singing this lonesome cattle call.